How you doing? Yes. Good, thank you. Yeah. No, I'm do doing pretty good. Um just uh yeah, hit head kind of filled with thoughts. I watched your latest um uh twenty twenty video today and that was really uh exciting to watch. <laughs> a, lot cool. of, a lot of like like yeah. A lot of ideas I'd been sort of thinking about in that video as well. So yeah, that's kind of my my mood. <laughs> how, how are you doing? <laughs> Uh, I'm okay. I'm just, you know, intermittently pulling my face out of watching videos of police brutality and, right, uh, you know, yeah. um, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to look away, um, you know, I guess particularly since there's, a, you know, I'm just, I didn't realize how many people I knew who I don't I don't know if they, like they, they just want to write it off as a psyop, right? It's like, mm -hmm. "Oh, this is this is some controlled you're being made to be, you know, you're you're not really upset." Mm. You there there is a psychological operation to upset you so that you're like so that you're what? So that you're like Siding with the argument that police shouldn't be brutal, I yeah, I was already on that side. You didn't have to manipulate <laughs> me. Um, yeah. If anything, I think this is. I mean, whatever. I didn't. I don't want to. I, I don't want to take the conversation there. I don't. I don't. Well, well I mean, I, I know what you mean though, and and it's it's it, it's weird how there's this sort of. I don't know if we spoke about this yet last time as well. How. Sometimes there are these kind of currents of thought, you know, that we call like, like that are included within like conspiracy thinking, for example, that present themselves as being countercultural or that they are going against the status quo. And yet they seem to be exactly, they seem to be sort of promoting exactly the kind of support for the status quo that, um, like what you just said, like it, it seems to present a series of arguments that suggest that you should not believe anything that um, that that goes against what the status quo. I mean, it's confusing. It's confusing to say, but but yeah, what what you were just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I I, I get. Uh, it's funny. I didn't think of it that way. Right. It's like there. Mm. Uh, so. It's this weird kind of, um, I don't know, like there's this phrase in conspiracy culture that's called gatekeeping. And I don't know if it's exactly that, but it's almost like, hey, 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 don't worry. We'll tell you when to be upset. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like, oh, that thing that's happening that people seem to be upset about. Don't, don't worry about it. That's just, a, that's just some leftist thing. You don't even have to think about that. <laughs> will tell you when to really be upset. Like, don't worry when, uh, as soon as, mm. you know, as soon as they ask you to wear a, a mask in Costco or as soon as, you know, some, some ridiculous notion comes down the line that you're coming. You know, I, I just, I just, I just don't understand, man. So mm. I have, I have a, so I have a question. You said you watched this 2020 video. Yep. And um, I'm curious, like, I don't know what year you got into a lot of this stuff. Mm. In the stuff that I've been putting together, is the most of that stuff sort of known to you? Or are you... Um... Mm. Uh, I think most of it... So I, I kind of got into... I guess 2012 <laughs> was when I got into a lot of this stuff through discovering Terence McKenna. Um, I, a lot of what you mentioned in the video, like a lot of the stuff pertaining to, let's say, conspiracy culture, I got into through the sync book kind of group. Through mm, wow, okay. And, yeah, like, and, and sort of, um, and Robert Anton Wilson, that, that kind of, like I'd never sort of really encountered a lot of that before. Um, so... So yeah, I, I'm not like super familiar with 
a lot of the specific like sinks or the specific um, threads. Uh, but 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 yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't know. I thought it was very interesting um, the stuff. That, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, which bits do you? Oh no, it's just um. Yeah, I'm just trying to make sense. Like, I I feel particularly. I mean, I feel worked up for a lot of reasons, but I. It just blows my mind. Like the. The people who. Have shouted the loudest for the longest time about these injustices. Mm. Um. They're the ones who seem the most dismissive of it at the moment. It's like, or like when you know, um, yeah, like your Alex Jones is. I mean, Alex Jones is the person. He's a you know he's a piece of shit, mm. but he is the person that I don't you know. There's this phrase, the term like waking up. Is mm -hmm. such a is such a you know is such a loaded one, but there was a video of his. It was just like literally just footage that he had released. It wasn't like a video he you know it wasn't like video he produced, but it was something that he documented yeah. or someone gave him the footage and he put it out there, and it scared the shit out of me years ago, and it. You know, it quote unquote woke me up to the reality of how dangerous these things could be, and it was all about basically like martial law, the you know what what this would look like, what the potentials are, what the different legalities, what what were the basically what the powers that be, how they were rewrite. These guys are like libertarian constitutionalists, so everything's like, hey, they're like overriding our constitutional protections. You're not supposed to be allowed to. Mm. you know, just have military in the streets and you can't have military um, policing inside the country. I mean, I, I learned what the Posse Comitatus Act was through Alex Jones. It was something that he, he mentioned multiple times. You know, that has now been suspended in New York City. And... Right. Yeah. And... The guy, I mean, if you if you shouted warnings about something for 20 years and then it happened, I would expect you would be on the side of saying it's a bad thing. Mm. Right? Yeah. It, but if it's right. like... What is, what is he saying? I'm curious. Like, I, I, I have I mean, no idea what Alex Jones is currently saying. I, right. I, so, kind of, yeah. Sorry, there's probably some false equivalency there in the sense of like... I'm saying like that culture, that cons that corner of the conspiracy yeah. world yeah. was – that is what I know them as, is like strict constitution, anti-authoritarian, all this sort of stuff. At least like that's their proposed stance. Mm. And, you know, for the last week, my my – if I go on Facebook, I see, sure, you know, I see my my friends that are either um, minorities or, or 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 fucking rational, healthy, c compassionate people, saying, "Hey, this is terrible," but I see a lot of people that I know either as libertarians or in that conspiracy realm and all that. All the thing, all the people who should be most vocal right now, and I just see a lot of them just dismissing it as, "Oh man, this is a psyop. This is some can't you know? Yeah, yeah. This is this is a state, uh, you know, whatever. Like this is um, if you're if you're protesting, you're a pawn of George Soros, right? It's like so you're." You were the guys who talked about, I mean, talked openly about revolution uh, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, when I signed into Facebook, 
I saw at least 15 different people sharing memes of different uh, founding fathers, you know, and constitution and all this. And this was about the, the coronavirus lockdown. Yeah. Right. And they're saying, oh, this is tyranny and we need to. Uh, I mean, I literally saw about 15 different people sharing these things like, uh, hey, it is our constitutional right to overthrow a tyrannical government and all this sort of stuff. And this is all about coronavirus lockdown. And two weeks later, these are the same people who are like, oh, these protests are, you know, some bullshit ploy. Yeah. And I just. Uh, the cognitive dissonance is so strong that I don't know I I don't know how to begin to approach this subject because I I'm really as so I asked like hey wh- when did you get into this where did you you know sort of what corner were you coming from because I I don't live in that corner even at the time I wasn't um, I was never a big Alex Jones guy. Um, but, you know, certainly aware of him and um, mm-hmm. I just yeah. used him as an example. It's just I just so, you know, I, you have to realize I did for for years being this sort of public person, like doing different interviews on different like conspiracy websites and stuff like that. Like people would send me friend requests. Like I I ran my Facebook like that was like my. I don't know, like promotional page, right? Yeah. And it's only it's only in the last few years that I'm like, I don't give a shit about any of that, and this is just for me and my friends. But I still have a ton of Facebook friends, quote unquote, that are just people who, after I would do an interview on some conspiracy show, I would get a bunch of friend requests of like, oh, cool, you're also into these conspiracy things. Mm. Um, so I have a lot of conspiracy theorists on my Facebook. And I'm watching them change their story so often. Yeah. And I don't, I've, I've struggled with trying to figure out how to. All right. So just, just, here's the thing. My, my plan for these 2020 series from over a year ago my goal with this series was to show how that conspiracy culture got hijacked. You know, like you, it's like if this is like a deconstruction of an Orwellian, you, you know, you know, like yeah. the classic 1984, like, hey, now we're at war with Eurasia or something. You know, it's like, um, mm. oh, we've always been that type of thing, I literally am like, hey, I'm going to document what has happened in the conspiracy world over the last 15, 16 years and show step by step how things were changed. And then suddenly when that script is flipped, I can point back and say, hey, this is what was being said here. And this is what was being said here. And you're fucking not only being lied to, but you are you are a victim of a massive psyop yourselves. Mm. And I feel like the, that psyop for lack of a better term has was too fast for me. And in the time it's taken me to produce this, they're already flipping the script and already like, yeah. Right, they're accu- they're accusing anyone who questions their rationale as being part of it, as being um, either a a victim, a useful idiot, a, an unwitting victim, or some sort of agent of this what they are calling a psyop. And it's like, fuck, this is. I don't I don't know how to keep fighting that. Um, just yeah. if people don't want to don't want to look, but I'm going to keep trying. Like I said, I, I, that is the plan uh, that has been the plan all along. This I am I, I've started 
Um, working on the fifth episode last night. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm just no, I'm just upset. Cool. I'm just upset, but but also like I think I think this time the script flipped so quickly that maybe some people will be hip to it. Like the fact that they went from in such a short time from protesting, like they're out there, AK-47s, you know, shouting at police saying, you know, let us out of COVID lockdown and we're going to overthrow the government and all this sort of shit to two weeks later saying the opposite, I feel like that was a very public display of hypocrisy. And I'm hoping that they will be unable to recover from that. Yeah. It's my very long winded, uh, where my head's at. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. This thing you said about gatekeeping, like, um, it's so strange. The, the approach in a lot of these kinds of arguments the approach towards emotion, like you said, because I've, I've seen it too, how it seems as if, if there is anything that could potentially make you sad or angry or make you feel any emotion, or if there is any display or, of emotion anywhere on video, in the news or anywhere, it's almost as if the first, yeah, the, the first position that is jumped to is that it's staged, that it's fake, and so on. And so if that is your baseline, like you said, it seems as if no emotion is to be trusted. It always, everything has to depend, or it's as if they seem to believe that everything, that they are being super, like, rational or something, you know? That it's all about coldly analyzing emotion, not letting yourself get carried away by it. Uh, as if emotion were the enemy here and 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 reason is what will will save them and uh and that th- th- this position seems so absolute at times like so absolutely uh in 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 denial of the possibility that emotion could be trusted that um that that, that yeah there is clearly like a bias there that that is very irrational, right? Because like you said, it isn't actually rational because the um, their position can change so wildly that actually there isn't, it doesn't, sometimes it seems as if there isn't an actual stable ground, a set of basic assumptions that they're resting on, right? In a sense, it's almost like in, in a completely like psychoanalytic, like repressed way. It's as if they've, again, I'm kind of being almost like, um, exaggerated here, but it's almost like they've repressed emotion so much that in a shadow sort of way, in an unconscious sort of way, they are just following emotion under the mask of of, of reason or something. Um, mm. I don't know how to say it. Like, it's just whatever yeah. feel, whatever I feels... I totally get them. Whatever feels right to them or whatever feels wrong, you know? Uh yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, do you, if, I don't know if you've studied objectivism at all, like Ayn Rand, that is no. basically, that is basically her stance is that, right, you, is, is literally, you reject emotion and you mm-hmm. go only by reason. And that right. is, um, there are a, a slew of quasi right wing, everything from like, business folk to politicians to you know quote-unquote philosophers that have sort of uh, carried on this line uh, and that is that's which that's literally what they say they believe is like no emo- don't you don't don't go by emotion you only you, you only go by uh rationale and it's this this is like hard reason and you you use your superior brain to figure out the situation and uh, you will see they will they will outright laugh at the idea of like but feelings you know like oh yeah. but I feel like this is wrong or you know whatever and it's a total rejection of that uh, 
on the surface. But as you say, that's a really, really uh, potent uh, observation is that what is actually happening is they're, they're blowing around so wildly in the wind of getting caught up in th- this reactionary, maybe in their minds, maybe it's instinctual, uh, but it seems very reactionary, very, um, as you say, it's emotionally charged. It's, it's, I, I, I think that's, that's really, really an interesting observation because I'm questioning how did they lose their rationale? The thing that they claim to be their guiding force, how have they so rejected their rationality? And that's probably a really interesting method of how that would happen. Yeah, if you repress your emotions so consistently, it's just going to bubble up and eat away at whatever rationale you, you know in in your your surface level is still going to try and hold on to like this is me this is me thinking rationally even though yeah. you're fucking crazy yeah <laughs> yeah because like you said it yeah it's funny because um it seems as if like one week they are defending one thing the next week they're defending the the other or at least that's what it like it seems as if, um, yeah, like there is this sort of weird lack of consistency, obviously, yeah, at, at, the, at, the, at the bottom of it. But it's probably not perceived as that. Because when you get, I, I mean, it's so complicated, like you say, because when you get into that frame of mind, I guess, when you get into that sort of like um, uh, seeing everything as a false flag, uh I mean, there's something about that that's obviously, you know, um, and I, I mean, it, it, it's tricky to talk about this because obviously it, it, it would be easy to, it's so, it's so difficult, oh God, it's so difficult not to like accuse them of doing something that I'm not doing, but like, like in the sense that there's some, there's a way I could describe what's happening here in the terms of like, psychosis or something like this at its worst in that um there is this thing of like uh, gang stalking right this sort of paranoia that everything around you is staged that that, that sort of i think and i haven't read that much about psychosis but just the the idea that um you can get into this state of mind where everything appears to be staged and therefore you get into this really paranoid mind where it seems as if people on the street have been planted by someone to spy on you and so on and so on. There is obviously like a, a kinship between that kind of conspiracy thinking and this sort of like psychosis. Uh, there's obviously a kinship between that and a sort of just general kind of shamanic, a shamanic sort of mystical way of seeing the world as well. Like it, and and so it, it becomes very difficult to, to try and not throw the baby out with the bathwater of like uh because I, I like you say i do i want to like i want to be critical of this way of thinking while without thro- without sort of um throwing the the reality of this sort of m- m- mystical state of mind that you can get into where everything seems symbolic um that's the tricky thing, isn't it? Because you can you could very easily criticize this kind of conspiracy thinking from a completely, let's say, atheist point of view, right? It's it's kind of trickier to criticize this form of thinking from a sort of mystico sinky kind of perspective, because yeah, I don't know. It's hard to know where, where to how to differentiate things um there. I don't know. And just and just to say, like, um, I, to your your, I, I don't mean this is to contradict your point, mm-hmm. but to say, as someone who uh, experienced gang stalking, um, the oh, point right. the point of it is to induce psychosis. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. For, right. right. I mean, that's just just to just to 
say when you're like, hey, they go hand in hand. Yes, there, so there are there are, there can be a thing where it's like almost like chicken and the egg, right? Where it's like you're so paranoid that you're afraid that everyone's out to get you. And then mm-hmm. there's things where, I mean, I remember, uh, gosh, what year was that? Um, probably like 2005. There was um, one of the the main, like one of the main heads of um, one of the main organizers of uh, like anti-war protests in, mm-hmm. in the wake of invading Iraq and Afghanistan and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the main organizers literally quit and was like, I'm out. Totally mm-hmm. out. They had been harassed so much and threatened so much that like, just like they got, you know, they, they, they got the fear. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, so, you know, I'm sure a different high profile, um, Maybe it's a little more extreme and all these sorts of things, but the, because just to say the point is, uh, when you say they go hand in hand, is absolutely true that they they do go hand in hand because either you are paranoid, and you think people are out to get you, or they harass you to the point that you go crazy because you don't know how to trust your reality anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that is literally the point of it. No, uh, I, I want go 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 sorry. ahead. Go ahead. No, just like yeah, absolutely. Like I mean. In a sense, I'm. That's the other thing. I guess I'm sort of slowly coming to the understanding that a lot of a lot of these things uh, are real. In the sense of, before I came at it from a completely kind of mm, how do I say it, like m- mystical point of view, I guess, where any degree of conspiracy thinking didn't make sense to me but i guess it's it, that's i think I'm, I'm sort of slowly entering more into domain where i i see that in in order for like in order to to take politics seriously you somehow you need to take conspiracy thinking seriously and therefore contemplate the possibility of of these kinds of things and then obviously the reality of like so many activists getting killed um and and stuff like, like there, there is a lot of that that I also very easily fall into the sort of into the mistake of thinking that it's all just um, that that kind of a political dimension is somehow an illusion. And by by falling into that, I can also sort of like secretly support um, status quo kind of narratives in some way. I don't know. (laughs) So, yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't really know that much about gang stalking as a, as a thing so it, it was maybe sort of a, a bad example to to use but yeah no it's a it's a great <laughs> example because it's yeah i mean it's you know we, i think we've all i don't know I, maybe that's a bold statement but i think <laughs> as i say we've all been like too high and or you mm. know get that step the sense of paranoia of whatever um you know that that level of panic and anxiety and paranoia that you can get from like a really bad high um is basically this the state you know that if you're in that kind of state then again it it could be totally it doesn't have to be quote-unquote real if it's real to you right it'll still still freak you the fuck out um and then Mm. and then yeah you can induce that that in somebody else by, um, yeah, by freaking the fuck, you can freak the fuck out of people till they, till they have a breakdown. Um, uh, but I, I want to sort of change, just change pace here real quick. Yep. Uh, only because it's, we've been talking a half an hour and I don't want to get bogged down in, in politics and all of that. Uh, right. I don't, I don't mean this. I just and and felt like there should be a more smooth transition, but I just yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I I want I want that we could talk about the things that we actually uh, were looking forward to talking about from last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say this isn't an interesting topic for me. I mean, like I said, this is very much where my head's at, but I'm uh, 
yeah, I'd like to, you know, we said so we want to talk about video games, and I'm just curious. Um, yes. I know I had seen some of your videos of like, hey, using like Super Nintendo games as like tarot cards, and I thought that was cool as shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that's about as much as I know about your interest in, in video games, and I take that to mean you are a Super Nintendo, like, I don't know if that's sort of that genre or that era is sort of where your head's at or just curious what what kind of games you play or like and things like that yeah yeah i I would say that my yeah my focus tends to be like 90s era nintendo Mm. that that seems to be yeah where sort of i've yeah (laughs) great yeah same by the way yeah um i have like um so my you know it's funny i the last video game system I had was a Super Nintendo in mm. the 90s. And then I didn't have... Uh, I guess it's not true. My brother... Before my brother moved out... Like when we were stuck living at home, my mom... my Just before my brother got married, I think he got a PlayStation 1. And I played... I remember just playing a handful of games for that. Um... But anyway, point is like my my heart is in Nintendo and Super Nintendo, and uh, I didn't then I didn't play games for years, and uh, my current partner when I met her a few years ago, she is into video games and she, um, we got shortly after we got together, uh, we got a PlayStation Four. Mm. And so I've played a bunch of stuff for that and kind of, I guess, like, kind of got me back into it. But I still felt like I was feeling around the edges of this. Like, I don't, I'm not really into a lot of, the, like, 3D, like, realistic people, stuff like that. I don't, um, yeah. you know, so trying to find, like, games in this modern era that still appealed to me. Um, and there, there were things that I found. Um, but... As soon as uh, the Switch came out, and it has a library of uh, classic Nintendo and Super Nintendo games, I mean, I found myself just like, that's what I wanted to play. I'm like, I literally just like, I want to play these older games, either that I remember enjoying or, um, you know, want to yeah. see if they how they hold up or or what. So it's partly nostalgia, partly just to kind of reevaluate. Um, and I really enjoyed that experience. Um, mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's funny. I, that's cool. I, I would love to get a. I would love to play those games again. Um, like it's funny. I, I also haven't. I haven't played games in a long time. Really, like um, I'm. I'm kind of drawing on 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 memory for a lot of it as well. Mm-hmm. Or sort of yeah. watching watching playthroughs and stuff um yeah and, and i would like yeah i, I agree I, I would love to get a switch and have like access to all that um it's something interesting about descending back into into that sort of past um reservoir of of, of stuff from an adult perspective uh it's weird all the emotions that those games woke up when you know back in childhood and then kind of like there's some there's there is something like very uh yeah i don't know interesting about about that process about going back into that um, oh it's fascinating yeah. yeah like i what have um, you been <laughs> no i mean yeah it's just like it's just like oh so like i was so young when in i mean relatively when nintendo came out so Having like play, um, I guess like last year I replayed the original Zelda, <coughs> original you know first Zelda for Nintendo. Oh yeah, and I was amazed at how small the map was, like how big it felt when I was younger. <laughs> it felt like this this massive world. Like I remember having the like fold out map from like Nintendo Power or whatever. And I, to have a map in front of you, and it's like, oh, okay, that's where this is. It just felt big, because at the mm-hmm. time, that was huge, you know, and, and that, it's like, 
Um, yeah. When it's when it's new, it's like wow, and that's I've never seen a, a world of that size that you can explore or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And then to like come back and be like, oh, actually, that's pretty tiny. And even like um, Metroid, which is a bigger map, um, is still pretty small. And I I don't know. I have I don't know where they are at the moment, but I had some numbers written down for see this is. This is good for revealing here, but I had actually some numbers uh, where I think it's like uh, I, I kind of went through and was curious, and I want to say like the Zelda map was like, let's just say like sixteen by sixteen or something, you know, and the Metroid map was like thirty-two by thirty-two or something, right. like, you know. These these are just approximations, but um. That was very interesting to be like, oh, okay, that's like, that's not that big. Um, Particularly by modern standards, obviously, but like, but playing it, it still feels like a very immersive experience. So to realize like, okay, you didn't need that big a map to feel, to make it feel like a really immersive experience. Mm. Um, So... I don't know if this is clear, yeah. but to say, like, basically, both being surprised at how small it was and being pleasantly surprised that it still felt plenty big enough, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. I I, I don't know. I'm kind of, like, um, sort of improvising here, but it, there's a thought in my head that um, it's almost as if maybe what I like about those kind of Nintendo games is that I remember back in the day... I was never super into really realistic kind of games, um, games that really try to emulate perfectly um, the external environment and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and I think that there is something, something I find something kind of like magical or mythological about that. In that, in the same way that in a in a ritual to say something you you're not actually using like um fire necessarily you maybe are using an object you, that represents fire or you're using a an object that represents the element of water or something and then and maybe you are drawing a magical circle on the floor that represents the entire universe even though it's a small circle <laughs> there is something in those games like you say that it's like by by not attaining the realism of the waking world, it retains something that's somehow close to the close to something magical in that sense. I mean, er, er, kind of being a little elitist here because everything can have that quality in a sense. But it's sort of uh, it's as if the smallness of the world is like an enclosed magical circle. It it, it makes it there's something powerful about the limitations in terms of of how unreal it is in comparison to the waking world like yeah i don't know there's something sort of powerful about that um i think <laughs> yeah i think it um it allows for oh i found it so mm-hmm. zelda is 16 by 8 right it's not, even, it's not even 16 by 16 16 by 8 and Metroid is thirty-two by thirty. Okay. And these are um, sort of like amount. These are, I, I, do you mean like sort of like amounts of screens? Like you. Correct. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can go west. Uh, you know, for lack of a better, you know, yeah, you, exactly. Each each screen that you play on. Mm. Uh, so I guess in with Metroid, some of those rooms might be four squares long mm. right um four screens long or whatever that might that might make a room but just to say it's 32 screens wide or whatever um and again that's just really interesting that it's like um i don't know that you know it's it's not even it's not even a chessboard um Yes, right, exactly, yeah. Uh, it's, 
That's just, that's just really interesting. Like I said, I just well, that, there was a reason I wrote those numbers down is because that was really interesting to me as to what was what could be accomplished in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've actually looked. There's a website I found. Um, I don't know if, well, what it is, but there I'm, I'm sure there's multiples. It doesn't matter. But I, there's a website I found that will show you like basically if you pull up uh, any of these old video games you can see all the screens if you will all the backgrounds kind of pasted together into a big chart mm-hmm. so for a zelda example it would be like just looking at that overview of the world map um which you know we've seen printed out or whatever um but for metroid it's like oh you get to see all, all these little you know purple rooms next to each other and then here's a gray rooms and here's whatever and um what's really interesting about that and for metroid if you you look at that is they literally just cloned certain rooms so a room in the you know northwest quadrant might be repeated Mm. in you know in the southwest quadrant three more times or whatever, you know, um, literally the same bad guys, same background, same whatever. And that's probably how they were able to, if maybe the capacity at the time was one thing, that's probably how they allowed for, uh, storage space and everything on those, on those original games. Um, it's just basically repeat a room, but you, you know, when you're playing, it doesn't feel like you're repeating the room because you're walking, Let's say if uh, if I'm walking through a Metroid room that's four screens wide, if one of those screens has the same spawned enemies and backgrounds as a room all the way on the other side of the map, like you don't notice that, right? It just right. it feel it just feels like it's um, sort of part of the environment or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, that is interesting. How you can you can be having the same experience, right? You can be sort of encountering the same enemy with the same sort of programmed movement, but it's still in the whole, it feels like, like you're in this living environment where, um, I mean, it, 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 the, the image that comes to mind is like that kind of, those sort of like impressionist paintings where it's all made out of little, little sort of, uh, specks of paint on the canvas. But when you look at it from far away enough, it, it, it looks like a, a forest or something like there's something about how the kind of like the uncanny valley of it not being fully organic in, in, in the way that we usually understand that and not being fully realistic. Uh, it leaves space for, oh, nice, course. I saw your link. Uh, let's see. It leaves space for the imagination to fill in some stuff, I think, and for the for emotions and stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like this. <laughs> These huge maps. It's funny. Exactly. You could be encountering the same kind of sequence of blocks and enemies maybe twice or three times and not even notice it because in the hole, it sits. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at a screen, I'm just like one... I don't know. I wouldn't know how to point this to you, but like basically, <laughs> I'm looking at a screen right now where there is three screens in a row that are exactly the same, and then if you go up one mm. row, it's repeated a fourth time in the row above. You know, and it's like so, but it you doesn't feel that way when you're in it. So, um, it's a fascinating thing of like you almost like the old like. Scooby-Doo animation, right? The classic, like, oh, the background repeats. Mm. Uh, it's a similar sort of thing. Um, it's just really interesting how when you're in that space, and if anything, it adds to, I think, Metroid part of the, I don't know, world, and, like, the the adventure of that game is that you're constantly feeling lost and trying to make sense of this world, right? So the repetition, again, furthers like where some part of your brain is like, I feel like I've been here before. I know where I am. 
Ah, yeah. Right. right. But it's like you're, you're furthering your, how lost you actually are. Um, yeah, I love this intersection between the requirements of game development. Like, there, like you say, there's certain things about this that simply depend on the space that is on the chip and stuff like that. The, the pure material requirements of that combined with the the, the the spiritual effect it has or something or the the the, 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 the how it works um, artistically like I, I, this sort of um, this in, in those kind of early games is really interesting yeah how all of those tight limitations in terms of color sound and everything uh, actually bring out some effects that that nowadays without those limitations people who make pixel type games still follow some of these kind of conventions because of how well they work despite not having those limitations <laughs> like yeah they, sort of something's <laughs> emerged from those limitations that um that might not have been sort of consciously uh sought after like uh yeah it's it's very weird yeah, because now when you play something that's like a 3D, totally realistic thing and something repeats, it stands out in a never negative way, right? Like, well, you were going for realism and now, you, now I just, that looks like the same, you know, it's like, okay, well, I've just repeated the same thing. Like, I, um, I see that with not so much the graphics, but with, um, like quests and stuff so like i tried and again i'm just admitting that like i i don't i haven't played a ton of modern games but i've played you know a bunch in the last few years and uh i did really like fallout 4 was the first like real like modern game i played and at first i was like oh okay like i found myself kind of getting into it and then quickly it was like every quest that i was given in this seemingly like huge world and i was like oh this is great like i love this like map that i could just keep exploring that was really appealing to me and then i'm like oh but okay like it's sort of i go to this place and i fight these type of soldiers in their compound and then yeah. you're going to give me another quest to fight these other type of soldiers maybe a different faction in this room and now it's super mutants in this place and it's these guys in this place but it was like basically the same and i you know, i get it's like a shoot em, you know shooting things but like the quests all just felt like really repetitious very quickly i'm like oh, okay go to this place and shoot everybody in the place got it you know it, it, so this map that felt huge very quickly began to feel super small because I'm like, yes. oh, there's just not that much to do. All right, so I go around shooting everybody I see. Got it. Like, that's kind of boring at that point. I want to explore for other reasons. Um, that's funny, yeah. That, that is, yeah. That's such an interesting paradox. Like, I'm looking at screenshots of Fallout 4 now. I haven't played it, but I can definitely imagine how there's these, like, open, like, mountainous spaces. And yet, like you say, it's as if the second you perceive the pattern that you're stuck in like okay i need to go from point a to point b and do the same kind of thing you realize that you kind of see that you're stuck in a sort of tube almost like the mm -hmm. game is pretending to be this wide open space but you're stuck in this extremely like tight tube of you have to go from point a to point b again and again <laughs> I'm, I'm being i i'm sort of not specifically talking about for fallout because i haven't sure yeah and again like I, I it was an enjoyable experience for a while it was just and again it, it was so novel for me uh at first when i'm like wow this is again i mean you know i went from probably the last like i said if, if i'm real i probably so playstation one i played like the first Metal Gear mm -hmm. and um, something else uh, like Spyro, you know? Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, which I, which I like. I, so actually funny, they like remastered Spyro and I, I bought it last year of like, okay, I'll, you know, like I remember enjoying that and that was still 
fun for a while. Um, but just to say, like, there's, it's really interesting to see, like, what, I, again, we've gone so many years without actually really playing something that it was, thought was novel, and I did enjoy it. Um, I liked the sort of world, the the way they, the way they, when I say world, obviously there's like world building in a, a number of ways, but almost just like the, right, so the idea is like, oh, uh, an atomic war happens, but like in the 50s, so everything is kind of like, it's this retro futurism. Mm-hmm. So uh, everything's like, there's like laser guns, but like, then like these old radios and, you know, or uh, it's this weird mesh of, of time periods. Plus everything's like kind of broken. Um, it was just, it was like an interesting experience and an interesting world. And I, I don't want to totally, I, I did enjoy it. So I don't want to like, should talk it i just again i've I very i realized too soon that i was like oh if i'm playing the game the, the more i'm playing as you say the more the more you, you're seeing the limitations of the space uh where at first it seems big like oh shit this map is gigantic and i've barely you know when you hit the pause button you're like oh shit i gotta go all the way over there and this map's huge, and there's gonna be so much cool shit in between. And then you start to realize it's like, well, if this is a lot of sort of repeated experiences. Um, again, it's it's interesting how that the the mind perceives it differently in the so say giving Fallout as an example, maybe the landscape changes more than in Metroid, right? Like uh, if we could just compare these two examples for the moment. So where Metroid is literally repeating this room over and over again um but there's something with the pixel art and the simplicity that it all sort of blends together and feels like a this part of this one big landscape whereas with fallout it's like oh i'm literally looking at like cool you know they've put in the work in the graphics to make the landscape shift and change and oh this part is more rocky and this part has trees and this part has water and whatever mm. and you have these changes in scenery and and different visual cues to tell you that this is a different area of the map but then the experiences are then sort of it's easier to see how repetitious the experience is in that if that makes sense yeah yeah hmm it's funny, it's interesting to compare these two games, like you say, because in Metroid and games of that style, you somehow, when you get into it with the music and with if you've sort of read like the story in the instruction manual and stuff like that, it you feel as if you're in a cave in, a, in an alien planet, right? Mm, it, mm-hmm, it feels yeah. that way. It may not look that way from like a traditional sort of like uh like like human perspective but it it really feels that way like you say and then and so um in a game that has a really realistic environment the way the environment feels the whole mechanism in in how you feel about that environment is different uh it's funny that it gets flipped around like you say suddenly the um other things stand out in a realistic game, um, yeah, it's 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 interesting, and 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 then yeah, it's it, it sort of like uh, other kind of things come into play in 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 terms of like in, in in analyzing it as a as you would a movie in terms of like a sync analysis, like a sync analysis, because it it. The, the, other elements are standing out, like you say, maybe the, the the fact that you're repeating tasks all the time may kind of, without necessarily the game developers intending it to, maybe the, the, the theme of repetitive tasks may actually blend in with some of the um, 
themes of the story or something. It's funny when sometimes the the actual game mechanism, the meta aspects of the game, kind of blend in with the uh, the content of it or something, and 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 with Metroid, um, yeah, too. Well, it's, I think that's a really interesting point. Like, so you mentioned the the booklets, and for me, mm. I haven't thought about that before. Like in the, in my, like I said, I've I've been thinking a lot about video games in the last few years by reevaluating them at this later point in my life, and just suddenly paying attention to game design, paying attention to a lot a lot of things. You know, just like literally thinking about them and not, not just playing them or whatever. And um, something you said there is that I, I can still to this day picture all the drawings in the like the the original Zelda booklet, like the little drawing of like this is this octopus that shoots a rock out of its face or whatever, yeah. right? And yeah. these here's exactly here's Link in a cave throwing a boomerang at a bat and these like beautiful drawings that were done and you look at these drawings and then you go into the game and you're like oh this tiny little red you know amorphous blob oh that's the octopus totally i totally see that and it yeah. it just it's a like beauty it it tells you as you say this is a cave even if it doesn't really look like it's a cave, there's some that 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 uh, I guess I hadn't thought about how that other artwork um, mm. really added something, um, really sold the illusion. You know, when you talk about the uncanny valley and all that sort of stuff, I feel like the And it's funny because even those drawings, they're not realistic drawings, right? There's still these sort of fantasy um, illustrations. They're cartoony or or whatnot, but they're um, they're clear. They're clear what they are. Oh, this is a man throwing a boomerang at a bat in a cave. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and. It's interesting to consider how those booklets further, you know, prepared the mind for what you were going to experience. Because I remember just being a kid, and if we got a Nintendo game, that's what I would do: is I would just sit there and flip through the book for an hour before I even put the game, turn the game on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're saying you had the same experience. That that's so weird. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's as if um. I really like that aspect of the booklet being a part of the game, um, right? I, I feel maybe today it, it, different kind of mechanisms are in play, but it's interesting how we tend to think of the video game, the actual video game, as being just what's on the screen, and then that, that's all you need to play it kind of thing. The console, the game, the screen, the the, the controller. But it's funny when the a piece of paper, the booklet, is part of the game. It's like an appendage of the game. It like because in many of those games, there is no way of knowing what the story is without reading that. Correct. Yeah. Um, so it's as if there is this dangling piece of paper that is like a this arm of the video game that is it's like a an <laughs> inescapable part of it, but it it's separated from the video game materially and in terms of media. It's a completely different type of media and and that weirdly gives those old games a weird sort of multi-dimensionality because the game spans different dimensions it's happening in a book it's happening on a screen uh and it's happening in your imagination like it's sort of uh this weird thing and uh and like you say it, it is interesting how seeing the, that octopus in the manual in a, in a realistic 3d game you would encounter that octopus and you would be able to shift your camera perspective to to get a good view of that octopus from any perspective. But it, it's funny how in those games, the only clear image of that octopus you saw was like one or two. That's the, that's the only time you saw that octopus. And yet you encounter it again and again in the video game in its pixel format. Uh, and there is something really weird going on there with the the the... the the single image 
Um, yeah. And it's it's I mean, it's literally iconic, right? Right. It is yeah. the oh. it's the it's the icon of an octopus. Yes. It is. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. a it's a hieroglyphic. It's mm. a. Ah man, yeah, I like that. Yeah, there's something like religious about that exactly. <laughs> it's like it's the the because because exactly as a kid, I, I would really like worship these kind of manuals and and draw the octopus or draw that picture of link because it's the only it's the only material you had of that mm -hmm. it's and it, it <laughs> it's funny because um yeah i don't know i think there's there's a lot to think about there it's not necessarily like better than than than, than other types of games but there's something like that something about that and how it sits and i i'm i would be interested to to see how it sits within the the historical context what's happening outside what's happening like um i don't know that's just sort of well a i find thought. myself thinking about you know so probably in that same time if i bought a an album mm. you know oh here's a band i like just put out a new album what's the first thing i do is like on the way home, I'm reading the booklet inside. I'm reading the lyrics. I'm looking at the photographs. I'm looking at yeah. that. This thing that has prepared me for the world you're about to enter. Mm, mm, mm. Hey, yep. so this is, for lack of a better term, this is the story of this music. You know, even if it's not like as literal as a concept album or something, it's still like, Hey, this is the vibe we're going for. This is, um, you know, you. If I read the lyrics beforehand, as I'm flipping through the book and and read the lyrics beforehand, and then when I go to sit down and I hear the song for the first time, I'm able to just instead of trying to pick out the words, I'm able to like take it in as a bigger experience. You know what I mean? Like it totally changes how I, so just hearing the song for the first time and kind of listening to music kind of listening to make out words kind of this kind of that you're you've already prepped your mind prepared yourself for the space you're going to enter that you not necessarily like you can sing along but uh i mean i suppose you could but i you know i would never yeah. do that on a first listen but you know what i mean like there's <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. But, like, there's something like on a subconscious level that you're able to you're able to play along. You're able to um, meet that artist in that space. Hey, this is what I was going for. I want, um, like, I, like I loved, uh, you know, like I loved X Men as a kid. And there was an I don't know if you've ever played. There was an X Men Nintendo game, and it is horrible. So. It is so bad. It is so, 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 so bad. So bad. Mm -hmm. but I would still play it from time to time because there was something about like, well, I know this little blue blob is supposed to be this guy and that's cool to me. <laughs> you know, yes. I just, I want to be able to like meet you in that space of like, oh, this thing that looks nothing like Iceman. Okay. If you're telling me that's what that is, I can meet you there. Sure. It's almost like the, when we talk again, you know, we talked about the uncanny valley. We're not realizing how the magic trick. It's funny, you know, we talking like psyops and stuff like that. It's almost like mm -hmm. talking about how your mind can be primed to be receptive. Yes. To the illusion, so. Um, in that yep. sort of sense, it's 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 it, this is actually a, a very much in the same line of like, hey, tell if you tell me I'm going to be entering a cave and that's what that brown those brown squares are, I got you. And now everything's about like how do we fully render every detail of a cave so it looks like actual rock, when really all that was needed is if you tell me that's a rock, I believe you. Yeah 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 it's funny how it's like the 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 realistic game doesn't account for the fact that 
what makes a cave see here's the thing what makes a cave realistic isn't just how it looks but um how you're using it to put it one way or something like if if the cave in the realistic game is always say, serving the same purpose and you kind of see that pattern you perceive that that actually the 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 cave may be realistic but the design is very simplistic then um i don't know that there's a, there's an interesting lesson here i think about realism that realism doesn't just have to do with the with the senses in that in that way right it, it it's also there's something relational is how you relate to I, it 